The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. Take your Bibles, church, and go to 1 Samuel the second chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 2. If you're visiting with us, welcome. Thank you for being here. Please make yourself at home. Our, uh, our building is easy to navigate with restrooms and all the rest, so please make yourself at home. Uh, if you need to use the restroom or grab a drink, uh, we just hope that you would be home here. Let this be your soft place to land as you embrace God's love for you. 1 Samuel chapter 2, if we're making our way there, I'll mention just one quick thing before I really get into the meat and potatoes of today's sermon. Uh, Last week, um, a number of you came up to me, and and I appreciate the encouragement so very much because it has been a a trial some couple weeks as we have begun this process of unveiling the vision that we believe God has for our church, and and I was very nervous last week, and a couple of you came up to me and said, Pastor, you did such a great job, and I just felt like shouting or standing up or, or, or saying amen or clapping or something, and, and Eldon, I'm pretty sure you were shaking. You were, I've never seen you so excited, brother. You were, <laughs> man, if I ever need more energy, just give me a blood infusion from Eldon. I mean, I just, I, and I appreciate that from, from you men that encourage me. I, I, I appreciate that so very much, but... Um, and I want our worship to be guided of God's Word and of His Holy Spirit without a doubt, but um, let me just give us a couple scriptures just very quickly um, to guide our worship time, because our worship time, just because the singing has stopped, has not ended. We're continuing to worship God through the preaching of His Word. So let these scriptures be our guide, uh, because sadly the worship in our churches many times today is very, very different than it was scripturally, and, and that's not a good thing. So First Chronicles 16 Verse 36, it says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And all the people said, Amen, and praise the Lord. So, words like Amen and praise the Lord, those those are welcome, accepted, biblically guided expressions and words of praise even while the preaching is going on. And I I welcome that. Some pastors aren't helped by that. I'm helped by that. So, so worship God in that way, I would ask. Uh, Psalm 47 Verses 1 and 2, it says, Oh, clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with the voice of triumph. For the Lord Most High is awesome. He is a great King over all the earth. So clapping of hands, uh, shouts of praise the Lord and hallelujah, those types of things, those, those are welcome, accepted, and, and biblical. Our, our worship ought to be guided of, in those ways. Last one, I'll give you Revelation 19, verse 6. And it says, And I heard, as it were the voices of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering saying, Hallelujah! For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. So there's another expression of praise that, that, is, that is for us. So the end goal, church, is not just noise. It's, it's true expressions of praise. So, so if, if you feel the Lord prompting your heart in such a way, be guided of God's Holy Spirit. And certainly there's, there's, a, there's an appropriate time for those types of shouts and clapping and and yes amen praise the lord there's there's certain times for that but there's there's also certain times not for that Uh, if i ever come up here and with a solemn face and a solemn voice tell you that a long time church member has passed away 
Um, at no point ever do I want any of you to stand up and then say, Hallelujah! I mean, that's, that's, that's not the right time for that. So, so be guided of God's Word in our worship is what I would encourage you in. Uh, so church, why do we exist? Let's put that first one up there. Why does New Covenant Community Church exist? Let's show that first one up there. And let's say it together, church. We exist to praise Jesus through worship and the Word. Let's say it one more time together. We exist to praise Jesus through worship and the Word. And we've drawn the line in the sand. We're not changing that. We're not backing down. We're unapologetically going to do those things. I think of Polycarp. He was that pastor all those years ago, just a few decades after the time of Christ. And he had quite a funny name, but he was a pastor in the place of Smyrna. And he was faced with this with this decision either to denounce Christ or to be to be ruined physically and, and to see his end and he was quoted saying 86 years I've served him and he has done me no wrong how can I blaspheme my king and my savior so I think just perhaps if Polycarp were alive today and and he saw this first piece of vision that we're saying this is what the Lord has called us to do worship and word we're not giving those things up no matter what it's a hill we're dying on no matter what i just think perhaps polycarp would say new covenant community church you're on the right track so are you ready for the next piece of vision church all right so i'd like to do something today that is very different than anything i've ever done in preaching i'd like to tell you three stories one of which is of scriptural events of scripture one is of fictional events, and the other is of current and future events. Now the goal of all three of these is to be seen through God's truth, through the vision, through the lens of Scripture, so that they would be God-glorifying and ultimately leading to the next place of the vision that we believe God has for our church. Story number one is a story of scriptural events, and it's about a man in the Bible named Eli. You may be familiar with this man named Eli. He was a priest in the Old Testament. Uh, he was not a good man. He did not have self-control. There was this particular issue. There were two particular problems with him and his ministry. One being that there was this particular way in which the sacrifices, some of which was to go to the food for the priests to eat, the people that were ministering, the pastors, that was, there was a certain way that that was to be done. And, and, and during this time, this was this was being done in a not right way. Food that was animals and sacrifices, meat, fat, those types of things that were supposed to be offerings to God were being kept so that Eli and his sons could eat it, literally. And, and they became fat. They, were, they made a mockery of the sacrifices that people brought in and, and they were becoming fat on those things. And, and worse than that, his two sons, they were, they were known for enticing women. They were known for causing people in the church to fall by the sin of sexual immorality in the church and and Eli did not have the backbone to be able to remove his sons from ministry he chose rather to honor them instead of God and and Eli was not even considered a man of God he was supposed to be the priest he was supposed to be the, the preacher the pastor he, he was not even considered a man of God so if you're in first Samuel chapter 2 find verse 27 and we know it says that he was not a man of God because it says right there in verse 27, it says, Then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I not clearly reveal myself to the house of your father? 
when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer upon my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod before me? Did I not give to the house of your father all the offerings of the children of the children of Israel made by fire? Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering which I have commanded in my dwelling place and honor your sons more than me to make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people? Therefore, the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me, I will lightly esteem. This story goes on to tell us that this man of God tells Eli of of God's plans to remove Eli and his sons from ministry. The story goes on to tell us that the Philistines, we know much about these people. They came against the Israelites. They fought with the Israelites. The, The Philistines prevailed. And then the Israelites had this idea. They thought that they could go get the Ark of the Covenant, which if you know your Bible, it was a box full of some, some things. There was a golden pot of manna. There was Aaron's rod that had budded and tablets of the covenant. And, and, and it was this box full of these items that were markers of their journey of God's faithfulness and how God had done all these things for them. And, 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 and it truly is so in Scripture that the Ark of the Covenant normally represented God's presence going before them. But the people had become idolatrous under the leadership of Eli, and they thought that they somehow could manipulate God's hand. And they said, let's go to this place called Shiloh, bring the Ark of the Covenant here, and then we'll be able to beat the Philistines. They thought they could manipulate God's hand to then how somehow without actually being obedient to the Lord, they could just make God defeat the enemy for them if they had this ark that represented His presence to go before them. Come to find out the Philistines defeated the Israelites and stole the Ark of the Covenant. And Eli's end was not a good one. Look to chapter 4 now of 1 Samuel and find your way to verse 12. It says, Then a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line the same day and came to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. Now when he came, there was Eli sitting on a seat by the wayside watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told it, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he said, What does the sound of this tumult mean? And the man came quickly and told Eli. Eli was 98 years old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see. Then the man said to Eli, I am he who came from the battle, and I fled today from the battle line. And he said, What happened, my son? So the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled from before the Philistines, and there has been a great slaughter among the people. Also your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. Then it happened, when he made mention of the ark of God, that Eli fell off the seat backward by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died. For the man was old and heavy, and he had judged Israel 40 years. So what Eli's position was made for, what Eli, if he was obedient, would have, would have been doing, he would have, he would have been a man of strong leadership. He would have been a man of self-control. He was intended to do the will of God. He was supposed to be the man of God. Why is it this other man of God had to come to him? He was to be that man of God. He was to do the Lord's bidding. He was supposed to be the kind of man that would go before the Lord in the temple and say, Lord, how am I to lead your people, God? Convict us of the sin, Lord. Whatever the sin is of your people, show me what it is so that we can cast it far from us, God. Show us what it is. But rather, 
Eli was, was lazy, literally fat and lazy. And I'm not just saying that. That's, that's actually what he was. He lost his vision. He was overweight. He was not a strong leader. Rather, he chose to create this safe, comfortable environment with too much food and not even standing up to his sons to remove them from ministry knowing that they were, that they were tempting people and causing them to fall into sin. Eli was created to be a spiritual leader, but he became a lookalike instead. He had the priestly robe on. Perhaps even the man of God that came and gave him God's Word had the same type of priestly garments that Eli would have been wearing himself, but, but we know that that's not what Eli was. And all the while, church, God was raising up this young boy named Samuel who would be a faithful priest before the Lord. And we know this of Samuel. If you're in your Bibles, go to chapter 2 again. Find verse 18. It says of Samuel at this time, this young boy, it says, but Samuel ministered before the Lord even as a child, wearing a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. In 1 Samuel 3.15 it says, So Samuel lay down until morning and opened up the doors of the house of the Lord. Why is it this young boy is going in and he's opening up the doors of the church and, and the, his mentor, Eli, is, should have been there first. He should have been there to open the doors, but this young boy is taking the place because Eli had been rendered useless. So, so rather than being a priest lookalike, Eli should have been preserved by doing the work that God had for him in ministry. He, he shouldn't have had this end of no vision and overweight and not a strong leader. He should have been there to lead God's people and to be there to open the doors of the house of God. He was supposed to do those kinds of things. He would have been preserved had he done what it was that God had called him to do. But he had rendered himself useless. That's story number one. Story number two. A story of fictional events is about a, st a story about a family who bought a boat. Now, hang with me, church, because this is all going to make sense in a moment. There was a family who lived by the ocean. And this boy noticed that there was this particular kind of speedboat that was very popular in that city. And, and the boy liked this type of speedboat. Lots of people had it in this town in which they lived. And so the boy decided to make a model of this speedboat. And so he, he gathered the materials and, and he made this a, a, a three-year-long project that he was going to make it absolutely perfect. He made this model, this small model of this popular speedboat to be absolutely perfect. Perfect dimensions. Perfect paint match color. He had even the people in this little model boat were, were the perfect proper dimension size to actually match the actual dimensions of his own family. He had everything perfect about this model boat that he had constructed. He had to put this special treatment on it so that it would maintain the luster and look like a real boat, like a real actual live boat. He, he did all these things to make it just absolutely perfect. And it had to be preserved in a special kind of way. He, he had this special plexiglass box built that the boat would sit in and this particular type of stand that the boat would sit on so it would hold it at the proper angle to perfectly display this amazing model that he had created. There was a special port on the side of this plexiglass box to pull all of the air out to create this vacuum because with less oxygen inside it would, it would create the deterioration at not as quickly as if there was regular air inside. So it, everything was perfect to, to preserve this thing. No one could touch it. It only was taken out once a year with gloved hands to to put this special treatment on it, it was preserved in that way. 
And this boat becomes kind of famous. This is so perfect. He wins school projects and, and all these fairs and all these things he takes it to. It's, it's becoming rather famous. So his family decides to buy that exact boat that was popular in that area anyway. So they go to the dealership. They buy this boat. And the family didn't get to use it as much as they thought they did. And they found out very quickly that it just sitting there in the dock, not doing anything, very quickly the fuel went bad. The seats became dry rotted very quickly. Now, if you got close enough to the boat and you looked at it, you realized that there were barnacles growing on the underside of this boat from just sitting all there because it's made to go quick across the water, but it just sat there and it was just being taken over by the environment that it was in. And, and the family ends up selling the boat. Now, the preservation of the model speedboat involved it doing as much of nothing as possible. Sitting there, perfect environment, not being touched, not being used. This vacuum to pull out the oxygen. The preservation of the real boat, however, involved it being used. It was intended for its engines to be gunned. It was intended to speed across the water at just incredible speeds. It was meant to have people sitting on the seats and holding on to it and as it just joyfully zip across the water. It was intended to be used. And rather than being treated like the look-alike, the boat would have been preserved if it would have been, if it would have been used as it was intended, as it was built, as it was made to. And the boat saw the same demise, the same end as Eli. Not being used as intended and therefore stagnated until it just reached a point of usefulness, uselessness before God. That's story number two. Story number three, and hopefully this will all tie in and make sense to you now. Story number three is a story about two kinds of churches. Both of these churches exist today, and they will exist in the future. The first kind of church we could call little c church, with a lowercase c. And this kind of church is a speedboat model, Eli Priest look-alike kind of church. This kind of church looks like the actual thing. They've got the building that looks like a church. The people inside talk like people inside of churches talk like. They read the same kinds of books. They do the same kinds of activities. The paint matches perfectly between the real boat and the model one. It, it looks the same. They're, they're wearing the same cloak as the other priest is wearing, but, but, but they're not the real thing. They may look like it, but, but they're not. They could be described by 2 Timothy chapter 3 where it says they have a form of godliness, a form of, of Christianity, a form of church, but denying its power. There's a high priority placed on comfort. Nothing from the pulpit is ever offensive. There's no conviction, no action, no Holy Spirit, no movement. They're like Eli, not willing to do the work of the ministry and to go through the hard parts of God's Word and to, to allow the Holy Spirit to move among the hearts of the people and to make some hard decisions and do some hard things. And, and they're not willing to do that kind of, of difficult work. Now from a distance, they can look like every other church. From the outside looking in, it just looks like another church. But when you get really close, you see that there are barnacles on the spirits of the people. There's, there's bickering and fighting and there's, you, you see that there's, there's no movement among the church. There's no movement of the Holy Spirit. There's no obedience among the people. There's no, there's no going and fulfilling what it is that God, that Jesus has called them to do. A little C church is preserved just like the speedboat model and doing as much of nothing as possible. 
Just keep it this looking this way. It doesn't matter what we really do as long as other people think that we look this kind of way. There's no action, no movement, no air, no authenticity. It's not the real thing. Now, unless the little C church repents, their end will be as it is recorded in, Gen- in Revelation 3, verse 1, where it says, Jesus says, I know your works. And I know that you have a name that you are alive, but you're dead. A little C church like this will be fat, they'll be blind, they'll be comfort seeking with barnacles growing on the hall, and there will likely be a replacement being raised up underneath it because it has rendered itself useless before God. Why? Because speedboats are meant to speed across the water. Priests are meant to preach and to pastor and minister and lead and to to provide leadership for the people of God. A church is meant to go. It's meant to love. It's meant to witness. It's meant to share, proclaim, and teach the Word of God. When Jesus gave the Great Commission, it was go, teach them. Teach them all the things I've commanded you. Preach, Preach this Gospel. Preach this good news. Go do it. Go do it. You're to be a going people. Then there's the other kind of church. We could call this church Big C or uppercase church. And it's the real speedboat. It's the Samuel prophet kind of church. And this kind of church, it's the real thing. They've got the building, they've got the talk, they've got the books and activities, but, but it's, it's not just paint that you see. There's, there's, there's real, it's the real thing. It's not just a model that you're looking at. This is the real thing that can actually go across the water with great speed. It's, it's the real thing. It's not just a church that's wearing the cloak of priesthood, but it's the kind of church with, with a real heart to go before God and say, whatever it is You want us to do, Lord, show us how to lead the people. Show us how to love one another. Don't let this be just a fake cloak that I'm putting on as I make myself fat, but, but let this be a, a, an authentic cloak that I'm putting on with a true heart that's been changed inside of it. This big C church, They've got a going people. They could be described by John 14, 15 where it says, if you love me, you keep my commandments. The big C church is the kind of church that that loves Jesus, so therefore they keep His commandments. They want to know what it is that God has for them. They want to be obedient to those things. There's a high priority placed upon serving the Lord or preaching the truth no matter what in the big C church. They're a going people. They're a, they're a speedboat ripping across the water. Samuel opening up those doors of the temple early in the morning. That's the kind of people that they are. Now from the outside, they look like all the other churches, even the little sea churches. But when you get real close, you see the genuineness of their faith. There's not these stupid squabbles and backbiting and bickering and barnacles growing on the hall. There's, there's this realness that they love each other and they work through some difficult things, yes, but, but, but there's this love and this commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ that's stronger than anything else. And the Big Sea Church is preserved not like the model boat. It's preserved by going. Going fast across the water. It's preserved by being obedient to the ministry that God has called us to. They could be described when it says in Revelation 3.8 when Jesus says, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, yet have kept my word and have not denied my name. 
What am I preaching to you today, church? I'm preaching that Jesus says, follow me. And then He says, go. He says, follow me. And then He says, go. And there's an increasing number of churches in our world today that they like the follow part. That they'll, they'll follow Jesus. They'll, they like coming to church. They like hearing the Word preached. They like these things. But the moment it says, now go! And, and share this great news. You're, you're standing there. Imagine you're standing there at the ascension and Jesus is looking into your eyes and He says, go and share this Word. Go and teach the world what I've commanded. Teach them to observe and to practice what it is that I've taught you. Go and do these things. Go and do it. It's, it's a comfortable setting to be in this temple, fat-growing kind of place with barnacles growing everywhere. But, but Jesus says go. We're to be a going people. We're to be a sharing people. A witnessing people. And if churches had to somehow collectively answer before God, which I don't see that in Scripture, but if that were so, many churches today would have to stand before God and it would be just like the parable of the talents. That some churches would just say, well, we had these people, we, did, we, we, just, we, just, we, kept, we kept it in the model, the boat model box. We sucked all the air out of it so it just stayed the same and, and we're giving it back to you the same way. And that's not a good place to be. That's not a good answer that we're going to get from God should that be our church. The, ch- the parable of the talents teaches us that we take what we have and we multiply it. We, we share it. We, we, we're a light in the world. We're not, we're not just this way on Sunday morning. We're not just this way on Sunday morning. Praise the Lord, Pastor Ben. That was a great message. And then we go and, and, and live a different way. Sign our name on documents that we don't agree with. Support other agendas. That's not the case. We are, we are sharing, going people, speeding across the water. It is what we're made for. It is how we will be preserved. If you believe it, say amen. Now in light of this crystal clear understanding that we are to be a sent going, ripping across the water, heart-changed people for Jesus to share Him. With that, I'll say our next piece of our vision. New Covenant Community Church exists to praise Jesus through worship and the Word and to proclaim the Gospel to our neighbors and the nations. Say that with me. Ready, set, go. Proclaim the Gospel to our neighbors and the nations. Now, I wish, church, knowing that we are absolutely, without a doubt, 100% called to do that. That our church is here for that purpose. What I wish proclaiming the Gospel meant to our neighbors and the nations, man, I could paint you a picture that would sound really great of, of what that meant. But when I'm honest with myself and with you, there's this, there's this realization that we have some challenges today. It is a strange and difficult world in which we reside, which is why I'd like to point out two of the main hindrances that we have and being able to share and proclaim the Gospel to our neighbors and the nations. One being mission competition, and the second being a full-on frontal assault. And I'll explain what those mean. Mission competition, church. We now live in the age of the social media hashtag. There are a lot of people going around proclaiming a lot of different things, a lot of different agendas, a lot of different messages. Some of them, most of these that I'll give you as an example, all have hashtags that are very common among our social media, even among our speech, in the news, everything. Here's just a few that you've heard a lot of. All these sayings that have a movement with them. 
Justice for George Floyd. All lives matter. Black lives matter. Unborn lives matter. Blue lives matter. Defund the police. Make America great again. Keep America great. Vote blue no matter who. Take a knee. No justice, no peace. In this together. And I could go on and on and on. Those are just a few of the ones that we've experienced in the past couple months. Now some of these movements are good. And some of them are not good. But what we're called is not to draw ourselves to any one of those movements. It's for the gospel that God showed you. He, it was the great commandment, the great, the great commission that He gave us was the gospel, not any one of those things. So what we do as believers, if you could just imagine this umbrella, it's the Jesus umbrella of what He's called us to do. And we come up underneath that umbrella and we say, Lord, what is it that You want me to do? What is it that You want me to share? It's Your gospel, it's Your word, it's Your love that I'm supposed to share. And if, if, if any other movement comes up underneath that not over it not on the side not in front not behind it comes up underneath the gospel and it doesn't match perfectly and it doesn't it doesn't move the gospel forward perfectly then cast it aside because that's not your mission your mission is the gospel new covenant community church exists to proclaim the gospel to our neighbors and the nations. If there's other things that come up underneath that with perfect unity of the Gospel, then, th- then that's something that we can support. And that's good and true and right, but it's the Gospel first. Now, that may frustrate some people. That may make some people angry. And I understand that. I understand that my preaching it makes many people in our world mad today. I, I totally understand that. I'm, I'm not oblivious to that fact. But perhaps the reason that if you're frustrated by that, that you wish that there was another agenda, that something you're passionate about, listen, I'm, I'm as quick as you are to jump on the bandwagon of, of some kind of movement. It usually has something to do with like prepping and that kind of stuff and raising cows and chickens and butchering deer. And I love that kind of stuff. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm all about that kind of stuff. I, I, I am so quick to jump on those bandwagons, but, but we're called to share the gospel, to proclaim the gospel to our neighbors and the nations. And the reason that we drift away from that, the reason that we're so quick to put some other things above the Gospel, I believe is because we have forgotten our first love. Listen to what Jesus says in Revelation 2, verses through 2 through 5. It says, I know your works. I know your labor. Your patience. And that you cannot bear with those who are evil. Jesus says, I, I know your good works. I know, I know how you can't even bear with people that are evil. And he says, and, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and not. These are people in the church testing people of whether or not they're, they're truly called of God. And then you have found them liars. And verse 3, and you have preserved and have patience and have labored for my name's sake. And you have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember therefore where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works. Or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So let me just remind you, church, it's about the first love. It's about, it's about everything else coming up underneath the first love. Daisy and Abby, they're underneath my first love of Jesus. Let me remind you this morning in case you've forgotten. Donald Trump did not die on a cross for your sins. 
Black Lives Matter did not die on a cross for your sins. Police officers did not die on a cross for your sins. Democrats did not die on a cross for your sins. Republicans did not die on a cross for your sins. Jesus Christ of Nazareth died on a cross for your sins. And perhaps Eli, if he would have remembered his first love when he walked into the temple and he said, Lord, I remember how you, you brought us out of Egypt. I remember how you called Moses out of the wilderness after 40 years of being a shepherd and he had this stuttering problem, but you raised up this great leader to lead our whole nation, this nation of millions of people. You brought out of this bondage, God. I remember what you did when the, when the, when the Pharaoh and, and all of his army was chasing after us and you split the Red Sea, God. I remember how we had confidence as we were walking through on dry ground, remembering the plagues that you had just poured out upon Egypt because they would not let us go. I, I remember your great works, God. I'm remembering my first love. Perhaps if Eli would have remembered his first love, he would have, he, he would have fulfilled what it was that he was called to do. Perhaps, perhaps blindness wouldn't have come upon his physical body and his ministry. Perhaps fatness wouldn't have taken over his body and he'd be distorting the sacrifices that people were bringing into the temple. Perhaps he wouldn't have fallen off that chair and, and died as a fat, blind heap of mess on the ground. Perhaps that would not have been His end. Perhaps churches, if they would remember their first love, that Jesus Christ died for their sins, they wouldn't carry these social agendas. They'd keep the Gospel at the forefront. So when we come to God, when we come underneath the Jesus Gospel umbrella, when we, when we recognize that we are to proclaim the Gospel to our neighbors and the nations, we bring Him the agendas that pop up all around us seemingly so fast anymore. And, and we take it and we say, Jesus... Does this, does this carry your message forward, God? Does this disagree with your word, Jesus? Is there anything about this that, that hinders from the Gospel? And if it does, we throw it out. Why? Because we remember our first love. Listen to me, church. The devil will do anything that he can to distract you from sharing the Gospel. And all he needs you to do is to get people to miss it by this much. That's all he needs. And that's his goal. So be very careful, church, especially of the generation of my age and beyond, all of us, be very careful about the social justice issues. Why? Because of mission competition. Anything that we could support, move forward, anything of that nature, we, it cannot compare to the Gospel. Don't put that in competition with it. Be very careful about the social justice issues that you're carrying forward. Because we're moving into a time when Christians are pressured to do all kinds of things that are not right. Listen to me, church. Black lives matter. Great sentence. That's a great sentence. I don't know anyone who doesn't agree with that sentence. And if anyone disagrees with that sentence, they should repent before Almighty God because they are in sin. That's a great sentence. That's a great name of an organization. But if you go to their website and you look at their core values, almost every single one of them are in absolute opposition of the Word of God. So do not, do not move forward with a, with a movement or a cause unless you take your time, research it. Just make sure you go into things with your eyes wide open, Christians, because there are things that look good on the outside, but you dig deep and it is in opposition of the Word of God. And Black Lives Matter has swept in a whole bunch of Christians that like the sentence. They like the sentence. But the organization, the movement is wrong. It is dead, dead wrong. 
And if you believe in the Word of God, you will see that with clarity. We exist to proclaim the Gospel to our neighbors and the nations. That is our calling. That is why we are here. It is what we are doing here in Johnstown is to proclaim the Gospel. And if other things come up underneath that, then fine. But they better support the Gospel. Secondly, the thing that makes this so challenging in our world today, not just mission competition, but a full-on frontal assault. You know, the devil used to hide the things and the agendas that he had in our world. Now everything is just in plain sight. I mentioned to you earlier that last week in California, you could gather for church and you could not sing. Now, you can't even gather. It, it, it's, it's blatantly there. It's in, it's in plain sight. You can see what the devil is using. Again, not negating coronavirus and any of its implications, but I see and I see clearly that this is being used as leverage against the body of Christ and many other things will be used in the same way. So what is it going to be like when that becomes true for Ohio? What is it going to be like when there's this continual pushing and pushing and pushing and pressing down of God's church? And I hate this. I hate that my most common prayer these days has been, God, why would you make me a pastor in this day and age? Why couldn't I have been a pastor in like the 60s or the 70s or even before that? God, why does it have to be now? I don't want to do this. It's so challenging. There's all these things going on and... But church, just see this with your eyes wide open. Know that it's going to be a matter of time until Jesus, until the Bible, until gathering is illegal. Those things are going to be illegalized. You see the repeating of history as this goes along. You see how this seemingly nonsensical other people going out and gathering, other people going out and doing things. But let's, let's make sure the Christians can't gather. Let's make sure they can't sing and worship. It's ridiculous, church. It is ridiculous i don't care what end of the political spectrum you fall on you have to understand that this is ridiculous it is a scheme of the devil against the church and what is it going to be for us are we going to just silence ourselves are we just going to become these tail between our legs not say anything just just go along with the flow if i tell listen to me church if that happens for us if that happens for us there's no point in us even meeting anymore because we're done for. I mean, it could be a matter of weeks, months, or years, but we're done for if that is our attitude. Listen to me. We must stand up and not just go down without a, without a boldness to say, we will not stop meeting. We will not stop meeting. Jesus says to do not forsake the gathering of the brethren, and even more so as you see the day approaching. So if we're going to be obedient to Jesus, it may mean that we're very disobedient to other people, and that is what we must do. We exist. We're here to proclaim the gospel to our neighbors and the nations. So it's time, church, it's time for us to take our spiritual foot and put our spiritual heel in the ground and draw a line on the sand. The Bible, it's still the truth. Jesus, He's still the Savior. Worship, we're still going to do it. Word, we're still going to preach it. The counsel of God, we're still going to teach it. Heaven, it's still a place that only the redeemed of Jesus go. Hell, it's still a lake of fire where there's wailing and gnashing of teeth. Homosexuality, it's still a sin. Racism, it's still a sin. Lying, it's still a sin. Drunkenness, still a sin. Fornication, it's still a sin. Idolatry, it's still a sin. Adultery, it's still a sin. Covetousness, it's still a sin. Lust, is still a sin. But Jesus Christ is still the Savior of the world and merciful and just to forgive us our sins when, we cleanse, when we're cleansed from all of our unrighteousness because we confess our sins before Him. New Covenant Community Church, we exist 
We are here. It's why we're here. It's why we're alive today. It's why I'm a pastor in today's world, which I don't always understand, but I know this is in God's sovereignty. You're here today. This church has been growing. These things are all happening because we are called to praise Jesus through worship and the Word. And we are to proclaim the Gospel to our neighbors and the nations. Would you stand with me? And Brian, if you would come. Listen to me, church. I I wish I had this much courage all the time. But just so you know, if you don't already know, I struggle like all of us do. And boy, am I seeing why God has called us to be a church together. It's because, man, I know how much, how much I struggle even when I'm with you. I can't imagine what I'd be doing if I was alone. So it's time for us to be strong together. Where are we going to draw the line in the sand? Should, should, should somehow the government say, well, we like a couple of your visions of what God you believe God has called you to do, but, but not this gospel-sharing one. That's hate speech because that, that excludes some people from, from your gathering and from going to heaven. That's hate speech. No, it's the only thing that can save them. It's the only thing that can save them. It's the only thing that can save you this morning. It's the only thing that can save me is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're not just going to share here. We're going to share it everywhere. Jesus says if it has a pulse, everything that's breathing, preach the gospel to it. Be a truth preacher. Are you a truth proclaimer in your life? Do your coworkers know about the grace of God that has saved you? Does your, can, you can you talk without speaking of the glories of God and His mercy to you? Because I can't any longer. Time is running out. If you haven't seen that this world is winding down, you've had your head in the sand. Listen. Let's do this. Let's do this, church. Let's do it with passion. Let's do it with truth. Let's do it trusting in Jesus and, and honoring Him with everything. Listen, you're offending by... Someone in the world is offended because you're breathing this morning, okay? So you're going to make somebody mad. You might as well make the right people mad and trust Jesus and trust Him. This invitation is for those who don't know Jesus. Do you need Him this morning? Have you ever... Have you ever come to a place in your life where you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ with your sin? It's sufficient. It's totally sufficient to save you and He'll never leave you out of His grasp of love and care. If you're thankful for that this morning and you're a recipient of God's salvation, say yes. He's a good God. Let's worship. You're welcome to come.